0: Welcome back to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, We are going to be continuing with our efforts to be getting caught up on the old reviews. We managed to bang out a few reviews podcasts. We covered all the titles in October. We're now going to do our best to uh, finalize all the reviews for November. Just tons of great stuff. Again, we we have our own OCD nature, we want to make sure that this is a a complete run for the year of weekly review. So we are going to be going back a little bit, 3rd of November, so there will be spoilers throughout the podcast, but hopefully with us being a little bit behind, hopefully you guys have caught up as well. So uh, your host as always for the Coffee and Heroes podcast, uh, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes itself in Belfast, and joined as ever by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am doing all right, Alan.
1: Can't complain. Um... I have travelled back up home to the north end of the island, um, so I uh, had to come up for a slightly sad occasion, but uh, it's close enough to, to, uh, to the festive season that uh, I may as well just stay put, so I'm working the last few days of work before the holiday up here, um, which is nice, which is nice. I've brought a big old bag of comic books uh, that I have to read about three, two or three weeks worth, and they were chunky enough weeks. Uh, so we'll be doing a lot of reading, uh, catching up with, with friends, and obviously podcasting with your good self, because we have some uh, some uh, catching up to be doing, as you said. And I mean, as if the catching up in comics wasn't enough, you decided to sling a wee, uh, wee mini-review of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home in there as well. Kind of glutton for punishment, sir.
0: Mini-review. What started as a 20-minute chat evolved in the 53 minutes of geeking out and fanboying. Uh, <laughs> it, it it has some sort of semblance to a review, but plenty of interesting stuff on there. Of course, you can find that elsewhere on our podcast network. Uh, I do find it interesting that you've made a bolt away for the rest of the year. I think it's just you need to catch up on reading. So you thought, if I'm not close to Belfast, I don't have to pick up my pull list this week. I don't have to keep <laughs> adding to the pile. I can just subtract from it by reading.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though no, I mean, if you if you wanted to uh, to hand it to your good buddy Stephen, I'd be quite happy to pick it up from his house in, uh, in nearby Ballaboney. <laughs> Uh, before the festive season, see what happens, I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you.
0: <laughs> oh, you're all good Jets, uh, we got our delivery today, we're recording this Monday, the 20th of December, delivery came nicely, not much missing, there was one or two little things, but easily manageable, uh, but it's two weeks worth of titles, so uh, no deliveries oh. between Christmas and New Year's, it's not that big a week, It's not the second week's not that big though, you don't have to worry too much, they literally throw a couple of titles out just to keep a release week going for between Christmas and New Year's, so... So don't worry, there won't be a a pile of fifty sitting there for you, you know, because you know that happens often enough for you. Didn't need to happen at the end of the year as well. So, yeah, actually, that's uh,
1: I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I I jest, but I might actually give Stephen a wee shout (laughs) and see what the crack is, and that will have me nicely up to date for the. The rest of the year, and we might actually get the rest of the year's comics
0: reviewed before uh, before the end of the year. Well, that is the plan. I mean, who knows? We may even throw in a wee best of the year show, but uh, that's a a conversation for off-air, perhaps. It was nice to get out for uh,
1: for a wee pint or three with uh, with yourself and Vicky, and a, a regular or two from the shop just to just to close off the close off the year with a Christmas pint and a. In a pub that we'll not mention, uh, in the centre of Belfast. And the reason we won't mention it is because it's very small and I would like to keep
0: it secret. <laughs> I agree with that. You know, we were, for most of the time we were there, it was only us. And that suits me just fine. Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, it was cool. cool played. place. So unfortunately, our favourite uh, spot, the Sunflower, is is closed for Christmas, which is fully understandable. But uh, yeah, we found, a, we found another nice little spot not too far away. But again, can't reveal any details. Unless you just want to slip us 20 under the table and then we'll let you know. But uh, yeah, no, we're going to be jumping straight into reviews You know, uh, Again, we do have a lot to catch up on But we've been very studious with our notes We've made sure to go through our pull list from the past month And uh, pick everything out The best titles, the indie, the DC, the Marvel And Picks of the Week, of course So again, there will be probably light spoilers through the Quick Picks But probably heavier spoilers through the Picks of the Week So uh, hopefully you'll be able to negotiate them as well as you can So... Yeah, we're on to the month of November, so 3rd of November releases is first up. So, a nice big chunky week here. Uh, What I had was 11 DC, 2 Marvel, and 16 indie. so totaling 29 comics in total. How about yourself? I am right
1: behind you, sir, on 28 comics in total. Uh, 4 of those DC, 5 of them Marvel, and a whopping 19 of them, Indie. Uh, That was one of those weeks that... uh, I guess a bunch of uh, a bunch of the the Marvel and the DC stuff. Well, certainly the Marvel stuff didn't come out. I yeah. think, wasn't
0: it? I think it's a combination of that, and sometimes you get weeks where the indie stuff's a little bit behind. So then you sort of get two weeks of indie at once. I mean, between the two of us, there's thirty-five indie titles. I mean, that's that's a lot for any week during the year. As much as we love our indie comics, that's a mm. lot.
1: I mean, you do say that, but probably every most of those are crossovers. Wow! Well, you know, you, you know we have both got probably most of the most of those titles.
0: Oh, don't worry, we'll get to crossover in due time hey hey i see what you uh, did there seamless seamless but yeah with it being <laughs> such a big indie week it's probably no surprise to know that a lot of the honorable mentions are indie based and maybe even one of the picks of the week will be as well so uh why don't you kick things off then with your first honorable mention for the third of november
1: very generous of you sir very generous uh that's uh, an age before beauty thing is it something along those lines yeah,
0: you said it not me
1: well okay cool well anyway uh want to uh, give quick, quick, first quick pick to The Me You Love in the Dark number four. And if you've been paying attention to us uh, and uh, anything that we say, you'll know that Scotty Young and Jorge Corona's horror romance follow-up to Middle West has been phenomenally good from issue one. Uh, but number four of the five-issue mini, I felt, took a turn for the truly dark. And while the series has definitely been a slow burner with the terror level creeping up until now, this issue really lights it up, erupting seemingly suddenly, despite the buildup we've, mit- we've we've witnessed into a balanced exploration of supernatural horror uh, you know of the story and and of the real life horror of domestic violence and how painfully thin the line between romantic obsessiveness and psychotic obsessiveness can be and how quickly it can all turn over a small thing. Um, I think this is masterful. Masterful issue of a great series. What do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good summation of it. I mean, the first three issues are very gothic, very gothic romance, you know, sort of that uh, dark, well, yeah, dark, I can't think of a better word than romance, I suppose. But, you know, the first three issues are very playful, almost, you know, it's, you know, our our main character isn't you know questioning this dark influence in our, in the house. They're not questioning the supernatural nature of it. They're just enjoying being inspired. They're enjoying the attention, that kind of thing. And yeah, with issue four, it just took such a turn. It was almost in a weird way. It didn't feel like you were reading the same series. It does fit perfectly, but just because mm. the tonal shift was so quick. But I think, as you say, that's a really cool thing because you are looking at. You know, Scotty Young, he he seems to get these these dark elements into what are otherwise maybe light and playful series. I mean, even Middle West, you look at some of Middle West, but so much of that was to do with parental abuse and to do with, you know, living up to the legacy or the passing on of parental abuse from like grandfather to father to son, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But it was all Mm -hmm. wrapped up in, in sort of a mystical fairy tale with a talking fox. And mm. Middle West is something, or sorry, Me Love in the Dark is something similar as well. I mean, yeah, issue four was issue four was a great one, no doubt about that. Mm.
1: What's next for yourself, or sorry, first for yourself, is another indie
0: title? Well, we we talk about dark titles, and I think this one definitely qualifies as well. So, uh, first honorable mention for me from this week is the Magic Order Two Number One. So, written by Mark Millar, and art on this one is Stuart Immonen. Now, this is one that I know Vicky was very excited when this got announced. Magic Order is one of her favorite series. She's a big Mark Millar fan in general anyway, but I think Magic Order just seems to stick out a little bit. And the original se- the original volume, or volume one, I should say, was a cracking series. You know, it lived up to its premise of Goodfellas meets Harry Potter with some great storytelling, brutal, beautiful art, and some great world building. Now, the first volume came from the team of Mark Millar and Olivier Koppel. And, you know, I was always hoping for a sequel, and now that it's arrived, although there was a little bit of disappointment that Copel is no longer an art, I think the series barely misses a step with Shirt Eminen. Uh So, with regards to Magic Order 2, a new threat is rising against Cordelia and her family. You know, they're the established top family in the world of magic now. But it's almost as if they've gotten just a little bit too comfortable. I mean... The The book kicks off with an early scene at a children's birthday party performing magic and a one night stand establishing that things are maybe a little too under control in their world, or well, so they think because before too long we're introduced to the corn family from Bucharest, and these are powerful magicians and bad, bad people I mean they are not afraid to show the power that you know or to wield it in really despicable ways. You know the first magic order it seemed to be all about keeping the magic world secret. The corn family do not care. They will kill anybody that, you know, gets in their way essentially. But yeah, I thought for it, it packed an awful lot in for, for one issue. I thought it was a great first issue. It sets the tone for definitely another great magic romp from the mind of Mr. Millar. So uh what about yourself here you on this as well, I believe?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, the magic order back. Um I love um like urban fantasy and and uh urban sorcery, that sort of thing. I, I love the the concept of it, you know, through the the dresden files books and comics uh the rivers of london uh books which are similarly set in the uk uh and and the likes of this so and then you know this is this is almost you know there's a there's a, a gangland edge to it you know the the gangs of london or the and, and then you know the the eastern european gang you know, so there's that there's that there's that edge to it as well so yeah it's it's great and especially when you now know the characters uh, who they are and you know what they've been through and i think the the way that the way that magic is represented visually is pretty cool some of the spells are class yeah. um you know so it's yeah very very cool stuff
0: bit of an insight into how dark mark Moore's mind can get to be honest uh,
1: yeah absolutely and magic order has been picked up from netflix isn't it though obviously and netflix now owns miller wars so i we can't really say picked up but there was some there was some inkling about it being made into a TV show
0: yeah i think it was the first mm. one that uh, they were originally developing back when the acquisition of miller world first came along but yeah it's mm. been quiet ever since then so but i, I it's mean, perfect it, for it, perfect for now it,
1: it, it, it is i mean Jupiter's legacy sort of arrived and and went with not a lot of fanfare uh, in fact it was something of a something of a failure um and then um there was Super Crooks appeared in Netflix yeah, as well, didn't a, it?
0: it's an anime, so it is. So something a bit different there. I mean, for me, Magic Order should be a movie. They should take their IQ from something like uh, The Old Guard. You know, nice two-hour movie, plenty to do there, and leave people want more. So rather than stretch it out into the TV show, I'd like to see Magic Order be a movie, personally. Fair, fair. So, cool. um, so you had two dark titles to start, and the darkness does not stop there.
1: <laughs> Neither does the independent nature of the labels, because uh, whereas the last two were Image, we're switching over to Aftershock for Cross to Bear number one, which is one I was anticipating greatly, as you well know, uh, from the time I saw it in previews. Um gist of this was that Jack the Ripper was never caught because no one was ever looking for him in the Wild West. That is no one except the Order, who are an organization made up of the descendants of uh, Knights Templar and Crusaders, sworn to eradicate the unnatural. Um, So the Order will stop at nothing to fulfill the pledge their forefathers made, even if it means crossing the ocean to do so. So the book marks the first release for for most of the creative team anyway. And uh, Yugoslavian-born writer Marko Stojanovic he draws on his childhood growing up in the former Yugoslavia where he perceived a cult surrounding the Western genre in TV and movies and comic books and he says that the book deals with many themes old world meeting the new one, family ties versus all the other ones, the nature of power and fear, the examination of extremism no matter how just the cause and of course the danger of becoming a monster yourself whenever you do battle with monsters. And this all definitely comes across you know, with a fresh take on the Jack the Ripper trope, um, which has already been covered in, uh, in, in comic form and the likes of From Hell and Gotham by Gaslight. But in this, our protagonist, uh, an Order member named Simon and his team have tracked Jack the Ripper from Whitechapel to Boston. Uh, Simon leads a raid to capture the murderer and he winds up losing his whole team. He's now on his own and he continues his search for the killer and the trail leads him to the Wide West and Tombstone, uh, where he has a tense meeting with another former Order member and his brother, Edgar, uh, who's a really cool character. Of course, Simon tries to persuade his brother to join him, but fails uh, to do so, at least at the end of the first issue. Um, Sinisa Banovich is the artist here and great use of lights and darks, very eerily and appropriately. And there's a great panel, uh, you know, a single page panel uh, where Simon and Edgar first meet in the comic. And, it, you know, the the background that is highlighted by the gathering of the Knights Templar around a round table in the background really cool stuff. There's a lot to cover in this first issue. There's a couple of locations, there's a couple of major characters, including doing a good job of defining our protagonist, Simon. There's the concept of the book and the background of the order, part of which is teased through the back matter of the issue. And there's an awful lot to like in that. I thought it was a very, very solid issue on all counts, and it's really left me looking forward to number two, and it was just squeaked at the post for my, uh, for my pick of the week.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's quite the glowing review. That is almost a, a pick of the week-level uh, review. And Cross the Bear, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I find Aftershock Comics in general are doing a lot of really interesting stuff now. Mm-hmm. And with Cross the Bear, it's, it's a nice mix of genres. You know, you've got Western there, you've got... Pulp sort of tales. You've got a little bit of horror in there as well. So, yeah, I really dug the first issue as well, and it's great to see new talent coming through and mm. sort of sticking the landing because it then gives you, you know, new talent to keep an eye out for. Given our love of uh, following creators as much as as much as titles, so yeah, same as you. I'm on this one. Most most aftershock titles tend to be sort of five six issue miniseries. Some of them get the odd second volume, but uh, it's usually one volume to kick things off. Anyway, mm. so yeah. Sticking with one. the sticking with independence on yourself? Well, you have been asking about a crossover and so I may as well mention crossover. <laughs> uh yeah, so we're hitting crossover number nine now. So we're two issues into the second arc fully. Uh this of course is the title from Donny Keats writing and Jeff Shaw on Art. Uh a team of course who worked on the rather excellent God Country. And yeah, crossover is it continues to be a really curious series to me. You know, there's there are flashes of brilliance at times, while at other times it just seems to sort of scream, look how much I know about comics, for no other reason than to sort of brag a little bit about it. You know, there's there's times I'm reading Crossover, I actually think it comes across a little bit smug and self-indulgent at times. Mm. And I've been close to dropping the series, we've talked about it before. You know, the first arc was, was solid, but not, oh my god, this is amazing, I've got to keep up with it. Then, of course, Mr. Sidarski stepped in with that meta issue seven and that reinvigorated my interest and then, with issues eight and nine, I gotta say my interest is fully back on board. I read the two back to back, I'd left issue eight to the side, sort of not really you know not in the rush to read it, and then eight and nine came out and yeah they they know how to hit that sweet spot uh to keep me interested so with crossover number nine, I mean the series has moved in the last few issues from sort of a high fantasy tale. To a hard boiled murder mystery and this shift in tone has me very interested. You know, I've I've never actually read Powers by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oemin. Oh, I, mean, I mean, is it something you've read out of interest? No, I mean everything
1: you said so far, I'm absolutely a clone of you here on this. Uh just the the opinion, you know, the the almost drop in the book, uh the Zdarsky turnaround and then the last two issues being being pretty phenomenal. But no, I've never read powers either. Yeah. Um
0: maybe it's something I should quit acquaint, acquaint myself with. Yeah, I mean, I've I, well, neither of us have read it, but I'm certainly familiar enough with the characters, whether it was through I know they did a TV adaptation for through Sony Pictures that kind of thing. But I'm certainly familiar enough with the characters to not be lost at their introduction into this world. So, but yeah, you get the crossover number nine, and you know, obviously with crossover comic book creators are either going missing or killed. And that last page, I mean, they're really definitely testing the limits of what they can include by not, you know, without getting sued by the big two. You know, by the end of issue nine, I'm going to have to just throw in a little spoiler here. Uh, at the end of issue nine, Scott Snyder is found dead. And uh, the weapon, the murder weapon is held up by the detectives. And it looks suspiciously like a batarang, but mm-hmm. just covered enough to not be sued. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have to say my interest is definitely back on board with this one. And, and I, lo- I love a good hard-boiled murder mystery noir type story. So the the they've got their claws back into me, I would say. Yeah, strong, strong second uh, second arc beginning. Uh, would you have would
1: you have said eight nine? It could potentially have been a jumping on point, or would would the first seven have been certainly the first six have been critical? Do you think? To...
0: Um, I think you could jump on at issue eight. I mean, you should. I think you'd maybe be lost with issue seven if you hadn't read one to six. Um, mm. but I think with issue eight, I think it fills you in enough that you could probably get on board, and then you can always backtrace and and read the first one i mean the good thing with crossover is it being an image comics title that first trade is nine pounds you know it's it's not as much of a risk as a 16 17 20 pound trade sort of thing so mm-hmm. image are really really good with those first volumes so that ten dollar or in this case nine pound price point uh which also applies to the next title as well
1: yeah which is also a number nine
0: uh from image uh i believe mm-hmm. uh and that is radiant black number nine
1: um I don't know what you reckon, Alan, but I reckon this book has become something very special and is a must-read every month um, was, at this stage.
0: Was issue nine off the top of my head? Is that the one that has the homage cover to uh, the death of Peter Parker?
1: Is oh, potentially, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I
0: love this series as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's... And the reason I think I love it is the, the depth of character that Kyle Higgins writes uh, is incredible. You know, with Marshall now, as he previously did with Nathan, you know, putting you know, the feelings of the character at the forefront. And it's funny you mention, you know, Spider-Man No More, you know, and that, because, you know, that idea of putting the feelings of the character at the forefront was, was pioneered by, by Stan Lee way back then, and that's what separated the Marvel comic characters from what was already out there, you know, having personalities and problems, uh, really, that were, you know, maybe sometimes trumped their, or were or exacerbated by their, their superheroic identities. Um, as a result of all that, you know, the proceedings all feel very authentic, you know it's the the stories have enough humor to cut through uh the grief of of this issue but all the while building to an ending with some serious impact uh yeah great great issue great issue and uh, and uh, the first of a two part uh, Kyle Higgins loving from me
0: yeah i mean it's it's a measure of you know, the respect Image Comics has for this title are obviously gearing up to do this super massive one shot and they're bringing in a new series called Rogue Son and there's going to be sort of crossover within this universe. Mm. I mean, I've I've never read any of Kyle Higgins' Power Ranger stuff, but I'm guessing he probably pulls a lot of stuff from that run into this. There's certainly similarities there, but yeah, it's the characters that you love. I mean, you know, with, with Marshall, he was always seen as sort of for lack of a better term, the prickish best friend. Yeah. and then, But he sort of stepped up to the plate, obviously, once uh, Nathan, we thought had died, but obviously he's in a coma at this point. But his condition seems to be worsening now, and, you know, Marshall's really stepping up. So the, the art is always worth mentioning this as well. I think it's always a great-looking book. It's very dynamic, very fast-paced. Uh, so, yeah, Radiant Black's one that I I recommend they all, to anybody that comes into the store and, again, that first trade's there nine quid give it a go it's the first sixth issue so and i remember a saying before as well without spoiling well i've sort of spoiled it a wee bit i suppose but that issue four still to me is probably the ballsiest issue of the year oh big day, big day. do you think uh, do you think kyle higgins knew that spider-man
1: beyond was coming with peter parker in a coma and ben riley as spider-man <laughs> you have to wonder don't you
0: You have to wonder <laughs> yeah.
1: if he appears on the uh on the one of the beyond board we know
0: well, I mean, he is a—he does dip his toes in Marvel. I mean, he's been writing the Ultraman stuff for a start, so maybe he's been in one of those Marvel retreats and went, that yeah. sounds like a good idea to me. Uh-oh, we're going to get Kyle Higgins sued. Yep, absolutely. We're giving away his secrets. So, uh, yeah, from a couple of number nines with Image to a number one with Image, geez, Image really are cleaning up this month. Uh, so the next one I wanted to throw a bit of an honorable mention for is Newburn number one. So... This was one we were looking forward to. This this is the very definition of following creators we like. you got Chip Zdarsky writing. We mention him every pod, let's be honest. And you've got Jacob Phillips, of course, who's the artist and co-creator of, again, one of our favorite titles of the year, That Texas Blood. So, yeah, so this is just another case of following creators. And, of course, it leads to a quality title. You know, uh, this is the first time these guys have worked together. And they have kicked off with another strong title. It's uh Newburn follows Eastern Newburn. He's a retired cop, but he now works as an investigator and problem solver for all of New York's organised crime families. But he also uses their information to hand low-hanging fruit over to the NYPD. You know, it's quite the tightrope for any character to walk, but it comes across as second nature to Easton. So plot-wise, you know, first issue, you've got Carmine Albano, who's been murdered in his apartment after stealing 10 kilos of cocaine from his own family. You know, the evidence doesn't really indicate anyone obvious, and a gang war and a desperate grab for power may ensue if the murderer is not found. But before that can happen, Newburn is brought in to provide impartial clarity. You know, it's it's that classic investigator uh, mold. He sees details that others may miss. You know, he won't resort to violence very quickly, but of course he's not afraid to indulge when called upon. And he also doesn't have a horse in the game, so to speak, so he doesn't have any personal feelings towards either victims or suspects. You know, this is, it's very much a police procedural tile, you know, but it's played completely straight with interesting characters and as would come to expect from the artist and co-creator of That Texas Blood, this is right in Jacob Phillips' wheelhouse and the art fits the story perfectly. You know, another great tile from Sadarsky as well and maybe a little bit different from his normal work as well. Mm. Uh another genre conquered by chip perhaps
1: yeah really enjoyed it really enjoyed it i think the newborn character you know as you say he's walking that line uh, and uh, it's a thin line and uh he it's inevitable that he's gonna fall off i would say yeah it was uh um, be pushed
0: it was nice bagging and boarding the the new releases this week because uh newborn number two was amongst it so brilliant i look brilliant. forward to that so yeah newborn number one definitely jump on this one i may have treated myself when i was over at thought bubble as well because when i i met jacob phillips he had a couple of different variant covers for it sitting on his table and i was like yep i'll have that one i'll have that one i'll have that one including a rather gorgeous one by chip as well oh lovely uh, yeah great title Newburn. so yeah that was a a number one so my goodness we're actually going to move away from indie titles here
1: yeah uh uh, we're we're sticking with kyle higgins but we're going to swing into uh Marvel territory for Dark Hawk number three. Um, I think it's three of five, uh, I think. Not 100% sure. Could be six. Um, and this is classic 90s Marvel for the new generation right here. Um, the gist is that Connor Young is a 17-year-old high school basketball star who's struggling with a recent multiple sclerosis diagnosis. And while struggling, mostly, he receives a mysterious, powerful, amulet that transforms him into an armored superhuman. One who Marvel maniacs like myself instantly recognize as Darkhawk, but whom young Connor is only prooffully aware of. Um, Meanwhile, a local criminal ring uh, that deals in high tech weaponry notices him and covets the armor, uh, leading to the death of Connor's best friend, Derek, who was involved with the gang. So there are three issues in here and there are a lot of new elements in this issue. Connor discovering the murder of Derek, which, you know, really is, is, is emotional. It's the emotional core of the story. And the the anger and the the revenge that he feels, and you know how that uh, you know links in with the anger he's feeling, I guess, towards his recent diagnosis. Then the implication that the Darkhawk powers may be impacting the progressive nature of Connor's MS and potentially making it worse. Uh, and then there's also the inhuman nature of of Darkhawk himself, with some well timed body horror. Uh, you know, Connor has noticed that whenever he transforms into dark hog and his armored form that he's shorter than he is in real life and can't figure out how that how that happens and then at one point he you know he tries to pull the helmet off and pulls his entire head off um you know and it's just it's you know obviously those of us who are former Darkhawk fans know that what the amulet does is it it trades connor's body it trades the user's body's place with a, an alien android uh you know body uh, and puts their consciousness in there but he doesn't know that And so there's a there's a there's a definite uh humor horror to it um for sure i mean there's definitely there's definitely a three-line line between this and radiant black and power rangers all of which which higgins writes um but in this way the protagonist is a high school kid and so he's probably you know so this one's probably not necessarily aimed at me it's, de- it's still relatable um i'm really i'm really enjoying it uh and the, you know, the I've read the next issue, which features uh, Miles Morales uh, as well, which is which is great stuff. So
0: yeah, very enjoyable, very enjoyable series, very enjoyable series. Yeah, I think we all just harken back to that classic nineties vibe sometimes, don't we? There's they seem to be exploring it more and more. Certainly in Marvel comics, you know, obviously Darkhawk, X Men Legends is another one that harkens back to that continuity. Silver Surfer rebirth coming up soon. Mm. Uh, there just seems to be a bit of a bit of love for that era, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, moving moving from uh, from Marvel to uh, to DC, I thought it was just worth mentioning uh, the new series from Tom King and Greg Smallwood, uh, because, you know, the last few issues that Tom King has has started, uh, certainly um, yeah, Supergirl, uh, Rorschach, um, you know, recently have been have been really good. So uh, this latest one is is reimagining uh, the human the human target who is a I guess a, a DC character had his own TV series for a while there as well didn't they I think the human target was a or sort of featured in a number of TV series anyway, um, but Christopher Chance ha, has made a living out of being a human target. He's a man hired to disguise himself as his client to invite would be assassins to attempt his murder. You know so it's an interesting career he's he's a he's had a very interesting career uh, and his latest case involves protecting lex luther and that's when things as you might expect go a wee bit sideways um an assassination attempt that uh, christopher doesn't see coming leaves him vulnerable poisoned and left to solve his own murder as he only has 12 days to discover just who in the dc universe hated luther enough to want him dead um so that's the that's the setup for a 12 issue maxi series which is under the dc black label banner um which you know this is this is the format in which tom king has been very successful i would argue more successful than in his than in his batman run
0: uh would that be fair to say do you think well, I don't know about that. I mean, I do love that Batman run. Yes, you do. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, he's just—he's a very classic writer, Tom Keen. I mean, that's why I love his Batman run. He wasn't interested in creating new characters and first appearances and all this. He used the the traditional rogues gallery, which I really appreciated. But yeah, with the, the human target, I mean, if you say the words to me, Tom Keen and 12-issue maxi-series, I'm in. You know, he, he's proven it time and time again that I, I would agree that this is probably his strongest format. Uh mm-hmm. you know, the twelve issue, whether it's Mr. Miracle or it's Rorschach or it's Strange Adventures or now the human target. And you know, as much as his name sells us, the art by Greg Smallwood definitely sells us. There's something so classic and noir and cinematic and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's interesting it's a black label title because it's actually a really bright title. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, um I know
1: I don't know what you mean exactly about Smallwood's art. You know, the 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 colours uh in some places explode outside the lines and almost look like old newsprint or something yeah uh don't they it's very very cool, but yeah i mean i I absolutely agree with you small words words aren't as as phenomenal um but I mean this is Rorschach which is you know recently completed, just completed actually was a murder mystery this is a murder mystery uh and similar to that story the the detective finds himself closely involved with the crime. Not, not going to spoil Rorschach, Rorschach, obviously, but this is a similar twist in that the detective is trying to solve his own murder before it takes place. Uh, so that's, it's classic noir in some ways, but there's a nice twist on it. Um, yeah, uh, so, I mean, the the trail... Involves Lex Luthor and eventually leads Chance to the Justice League uh, or, or particularly the Justice League International. I had said to you JSA earlier on whenever we were off, Mike, and it's actually the Justice League International. And uh, the, the, the uh, theory that one of the heroes could have attempted to poison Luthor, thinking obviously that Chance was Luther, as was the case. So uh, really interested in seeing this, where this is going. You know, this is, you know, this is uh, could be classic, classic Tom King Brightly colourful, working with a different artist, a different style. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. Really, really good start. If you know, if Tom King can can just keep the momentum ticking away, that's sometimes is you know his downfall is that that change in momentum. But uh, yeah, I think fantastic and and possibly worth buying even just for the art.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I've number two sitting there, and I think I'm definitely going to reread number one just prior to jumping into number two just to to get the flow of it again. So. But yeah, I mean it's it's a very popular title in our store. It's I think a lot of people have the same idea that we have of Tom Keen, twelve issues. I'm in. Let's do mm-hmm. it. Uh, the only problem is they always bring out a gorgeous hardcover at the end of it, and you're like, <laughs> why didn't I wait and just to get this? But you know Ooh. We're we're slaves to the single issue format. Uh you know, proud slaves, but slaves nonetheless. Slaves indeed, yes. So uh so yeah, so that's pretty much the honourable mentions side of things, and of course you're thinking but Alan, you've not even mentioned the DC title. Well, it's pick of the week territory. So, of course, I've got a DC title for this week.
1: I mean, so, I swung you that way with the human target.
0: Well, you did. You did. Uh, and it's another number one that was my pick of the week this week. And this was, uh, for me, it was Dark Knights of Steel number one. So, this is written by Tom Taylor and art by Yasmin Putri. Uh, hilarious. We go from Tom Keane to Tom Taylor, given that the two of them get so confused <laughs> on Twitter. Um but yeah, this you know, welcome to the latest edition of the Tom Taylor Corner, I guess. You know, we've we have recently learned he has signed exclusively to write for DC and as a DC fan, of, of course I'm excited, but you know, I've always secretly hoped for another volume of Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, but but anyway, back to the DC Universe meets Game of Thrones. Uh, I thought this was an exceptionally fun opening issue. You know, we see the the familiar beats of well-established DC lore, you know, Krypton exploding, Jor-El and Lara talking about needing to send their son away from here and start a new life. But straight away, you're given a twist because the parents actually flee their dying planet with their son this time. You know, they crash land in a strange place where where Jor-El instantly uses his powers to defend his family. Uh, And at the same time as this, uh, a seer named John Constantine is having visions of strangers arriving and how they will spell humanity's end. So that's your, your interesting little prologue that sets the tone, and we jump forward 19 years, and Kal-El of course has all grown up, and and the lands are now known as the Kingdom of El. You know, Bruce Wayne's parents used to rule the lands, but are now dead, because of course the Wayans always have to be dead no matter what you're doing with it. Uh, but before they died, they entrusted the ruling of the land to Jor-El, you know, relying on uh, you know, relying on Jor-El's ability and his moral fibre to rule over the kingdom, and, and the ultimately to usher in peace. So, Batman in this story acts as a knight for the L family, and of course he's dark and brooding, as we've always come to expect. He has a fleet of Robins under him to utilise, and even Harley Quinn is present in this as the King's Jester, and pretty much provides the comic relief for the issue. The main hook that the story ends on, and the reason that it elevated it for me, and again made it a little different, is to do with Bruce Wayne's heritage. So, in this he's sent out on a mission, you know, and he's subject to an attack from this world's Black Canary, whose screams should have torn Bruce to pieces, but he survives, and he's not sure why any mortal would have. Now, because this is sort of like in, in olden times and so forth, he believes himself to be cursed. But maybe in this world, Bruce Wayne is more than a mere mortal. Uh, fantastic first issue, you know, I thought. As, as ever, Tom Taylor's strength is his world building and his trust in his audience, that they will recognise characters from the DC Universe and enjoy his twists on those characters. You know, the first issue alone, we have Batman, Superman, Constantine, Black Lightning, Black Canary, Harley Quinn, Stephanie Brown, Dick Grayson, Green Arrow, and more. You know, Batman and Superman are almost warring brothers, unsure of each other's motives and practices. You know, it's a relationship that has been explored in so many ways in previous comic series, but... You know, Tom there, may just to find a fresh take here, given the revelations that are unearthed in the last few pages. Yasmin Putri's art, fantastic. You know, apparently they'd been working in this book in secret for months. And the art is, by turns, bright and heroic, but also dark and foreboding. You know, it's a perfect fit for this kind of material. You know, the designs of the character's suits are really fun. They all include subtle hints to classic looks, meaning you know who is who. But they also feel really new and interesting and Yasmin Putri also does the colouring work for the series and I think that elevates it, it even further so uh, yeah for me a supremely confident, entertaining and beautiful start to DC's latest Maxi series and once again Tom Taylor remains a writer, you know he will deliver mm-hmm. to the
1: point that you know I saw this and I went nope nope, nope, not aiming another series oh it's Tom Taylor, oh it's a wee bit fantasy, sort of that that could be cool, it's sort of to me it's uh uh, Marvel did this many years ago um, with a, a book. I think was it Busek wrote it called uh, "Avatars: Covenant of the Shield." Mm-hmm. Uh, they did something very, very similar. Um, you know, having the, the the Avengers, you know, in a in a a fantastic old medieval land. You know, um, so I must I must drag that out again, actually, uh, and we can uh, we can have a look at it in, in, in tandem with this. But yeah, Tom Taylor on a thing
0: hard to ignore. <laughs> Yeah, although will you start to ignore him now that he's DC exclusive? That turncoat—that's <laughs> his loss. But uh, you know what? As long as he, as long as he stays on Nightwing, I don't mind. I must say that uh, just as a little side note, uh, going through the delivery today, I did pull out Nightwing eighty-seven, which is the the one long, you Ooh. know. And I only looked at the first two or three pages, but it just put a big smile on my face. It's just so interesting. So, uh brilliant, definitely something brilliant. to look forward to. So, uh yeah, so Dark Knights of Steel number one—that's my pick of the week for the third of November. And um, what pray tell is yours to finish us off?
1: I have got the Rush number one, which I think it was a was an AWA aftershock. I
0: believe it's Vault Comics.
1: Oh, Vault, actually, yes, you're right. Sorry, I I miss I misspeak. So yes, the Rush number one. From Vault Comics, and it's the the second uh, historical horror type book I have on my pull list for this week. The first being Cross to Bear, um, which which almost uh, almost picked this one at the post. But it was whenever I was rereading this again, I was like, I had Cross to Bear sitting as my pick of the week, and then I reread this, and I was like, no, this is this is the stuff, you know. So it was it was this setting. Uh, it was the Lovecraftian undertones and the writer, the one and only Sai Spurrier, that attracted me to it. And this one, this one definitely feels like a Roddy book. So I'd be really keen to know what the what the illustrious uh, writer thought of it. Um, and I, uh, I, I was hoping to ask him this. This this weekend past and didn't have the chance. But the book is set in 1899 Yukon Territory, uh, colonial Canada. It's a frozen frontier, bloodied and bruised by the the last great gold rush. And in the lawless wastes to the north, something is whispering in the hind brains of men, in their lizard brains, drawing them to a blighted valley where giant spider tracks mark the snow and impossible guns roar in the night. Draws them to a place called Brokhoof where gold and blood are mined alike. Now stumbling towards its haunted forests comes a woman gripped not by greed, but by the snarling rage of a mother in search of her missing child, who has, uh, who has gone uh, adventuring uh, and in search of riches with his father and not been heard of in some time. Book definitely has a foot in the Western genre, which as you know, is a weakness of mine. Uh, you know, with the Yukon settlements and elements of the story sort of eliciting this real feeling of desperation and forlornness that you would almost associate with John Carpenter's *The Thing*. Uh, there was that 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 element in those those sorts of themes, you know, if not the the all pervasive body horror, but definitely the the undertones of of the thing. Um, and I'm not just saying that to attract you to it. And <laughs> you know, the, the the artists in this, the art and colorist uh, are Nathan Gooden and Addison Duke, and they immerse us completely in the world. I mean, whenever I was reading this. I almost felt like I needed to wrap up. I felt cool reading this book. Uh, such was the was the the art and the color and the you know the the dialogue in it. And there's there's like an edge to everything. You know, like a you know like like the the, the sharpness of ice and the lines are clean, like a you know like a winter wind. The panel use is really clever and the colors are really sort of muted. Um, yeah, it's. It's a really fantastic first issue of what I am absolutely sure is going to be a bleak horror with a supernatural edge set in a dark, strange, barely inhabited place where hard people are driven by greed and sent mad by the the lust of gold. And I can't wait to find out what our protagonist, Nettie, who has already given up so much to get to Brookhoof, I'm really, really interested to see what she finds there. I don't think it's going to be good.
0: Bleak horror with a supernatural edge, written by Sy Spurrier. Where does that sound familiar from? <laughs> yeah, I jumped. Did you? Uh, did yeah, you touch this? Yeah, yeah, I jumped on this as well. I mean, I, it was the cover that drew me to it as much as anything. It, it looks like sort of an old poster you would have seen in a saloon, you know, back in the nineteen mm-hmm. hundreds, sort of thing. I mean, that, that's what drew me to it. But yeah, I really, really dug the first issue. I actually grabbed a variant as well, and there was a Martin Simmons one, the artist on the Department of Truth. as well, so, but yeah, this, again, it's it's world building done really, really well, you know, characters that have stakes that you care about, I mean, Nettie's a really interesting character in it as well, so... Mm -hmm. Uh you'll not be able to ask Roddy just yet what he thought of it because he came to this late like last minute that City is. Oof. Uh but luckily I have sourced the number one and number two for him that are oh, good sitting comfortably in his box waiting for him when good. he arrives. So very exciting, yeah. but yeah, Vault Comics in general, a little bit like Aftershock they're they're finishing the year strong. There's some really good titles there and they're coming from great creators and and same again, this might have been one that we might not have went anywhere near without uh you know, knowing how good Size Barrier is as a writer. So uh yeah, really, really strong pick there, the rush number one. I think it's a five issue, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Off the top of my head. So definitely keep I don't an eye think out. I
1: don't think anybody's gonna live long enough for it to go beyond that.
0: Plus let's be honest, anything that you compare to John Carpenter's the thing is an instant win. So
1: Yeah, I thought that might uh, that might grab you.
0: You'd be right. You'd be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah so that is the rush number one from vault comics as keith's pick of the week as well so yeah that is us caught up then on the 3rd of november releases so we're going to take a quick break here and we will be straight back then with the 10th of november and yeah there's some really good books here to chat about as well so uh yeah we will hopefully see you back then for the 10th of november so i've been alan taylor and this has been keith miller you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on
1: Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm scannyson 0 Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland
0: based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well.